you can have a seat. I'm excited about tonight, excited about the night of worship. Hope that you plan to be here and hear our worship band lead us along with some staff from Vision Way Christian School. It's going to be a great night of worship. I just want to mention one thing I forgot to put in the announcements that our students will meet a little early tonight. They're going to meet at five for youth group and then come and join us. So if you've got junior high, high school students, come early and let them have youth group and then come on in. So we're looking forward to tonight. You know, as, as I look across our culture, my guess is you see some of this too. One of the things that I've noticed that's going on in our culture is a real sense of polarization, right? So people line up according to different issues that are really hot in our culture. Usually people on the polls agree on those, sort of line up, and then the, the middle gets empty because no one wants to be there, and everyone is on the polls. And when we do that, whichever side we're on, we can look at the other group and say, that's the enemy, right? Those are the bad guys because they stand for these things. We're way over here. And so we never sort of meet. And this happens in politics for sure. We see that virtually every day in the news where people line up politically and make the bad guys the other group. But we also see it at work among religions. We see it at work even in Christians, right? Whose different subgroups, they're the bad guys because they believe that stuff, they do that stuff. We're over here, we're right, they're wrong. We see it even sometimes in local churches where people divide up, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, they did this, we did this. And, and what we have is, even among Christians, a divided body. Now, that can't happen, right? Because if a, if a body is divided, it's not going to be alive anymore. And we are the body of Christ. As, as a local church and as Christians as part of the worldwide church, we are the body of Christ. And if we're the body of Christ to live, we've got to be one. And so for the next two weeks, I want us to think about the things that instead of the things that divide us, what are the things that, that bring us together? What are the things that make us, as Christians, one? How can we come together to do the things that matter the most? Because I believe it's those things that make us the body of Christ. So we're going to think about that. And, and as I think about how groups develop that kind of dysfunction, a lot of times it has to do with losing sight of the purpose. Why do we exist? Okay, in, in the realm of politics, if a political party forms, they usually have an idea of this is the way we should govern the people, whether it's a nation or a community or a state, whatever. It's about governing correctly. But before long, it becomes about getting power for our people, our party, uh, getting the candidates in our party elected, maintaining the health of the party rather than governing the people. And this is true for red, blue, or any other color you want to think of on the political spectrum, right? Happens with nonprofits. So a group of people come together, they see a problem in the world, in the community, and say, we want to address that problem. That's our purpose for existing. But if they're not careful, it drifts. And it becomes about maintaining the organization, keeping the donors, making sure the directors stay, you know, they're doing okay, the employees are employed, all these things, and they lose sight of the mission. And it happens in the church. Because when we get focused on what we like and having things our way and keeping certain people employed and all that, we lose sight of the mission. 
Today I want us to think about the mission because I believe it's the mission that pulls us back together. It's one of those things that makes us the body of Christ, the one body of Christ. So to get at that, I'd like us to turn today to a pretty familiar passage of Scripture. We find it in Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. Okay, it's the story of Jesus' life. We find it in chapter 28, which is the last chapter of Matthew. So if you want to turn your Bible, Matthew 28 will actually be at the very end of that chapter. So the last few verses of the whole gospel of Matthew. Now, where we are in the story is Jesus has already been through the harrowing experience of being crucified. He's died on the cross. He's been buried and then he's been raised from the dead. Okay, And the story of Jesus' life is nearly over. And, and he's been raised, as I said, and at that tomb, he, he, he meets with a few of the women who come there and they find that he's, the tomb's empty, right? And there's Jesus. And he says, tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee, which is where most of them were from, okay? So they tell them that, and then we pick up Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, now remember there are 11 now, there were 12, these are Jesus' closest followers, there were 12, Judas has betrayed Jesus, and then he has killed himself because of his guilt, so now there's 11. So, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, as Jesus said, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now this is consistent with the rest of Matthew. Big things happen on the top of mountains, okay? This is where things are revealed to the disciples. Powerful experiences take place. There's one more here at the very end of the gospel. It's not surprising where this happens. So they've come just as Jesus commanded. Now, verse 17 strikes me. Because when we study this passage, we almost always begin in verse 18 and skip over 17. Listen to what it says. When they saw him, when the eleven saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now hang on here. We've got eleven men who for three years have heard Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God. Okay? The kingdom of heaven, it's called in Matthew. We've, we've seen these guys hearing what Jesus had to say, seeing that he performed miracles, healed people, cast out demons, raised people from the dead. And now Jesus himself has died and he himself has been raised from the dead. It's sort of like, well, yeah, I get it. They would worship him. Why are we here today? Because we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so we want to worship him. Totally makes sense. But some of them doubted. Now, this is not the crowd, okay? This is not lots of people out there who've seen Jesus a couple times and maybe heard some of the stories. And this is not early in his ministry when these men, these eyewitnesses, were beginning to have encounters with Jesus, being called into ministry, maybe sort of seen one miracle and thought, well, what's that? This is at the end of the story. I mean, they've seen it all. And here it says, but some of them, the 11, doubted. Now that's a little surprising to me. Now what's interesting is it's not, it's not the regular Greek word for doubt. The, the word that shows up virtually everywhere else in the New Testament when someone doubts, it's a different word. This is, this is a word used much less often. And what it means at its core is to waver. 
So it's not full-fledged, I don't believe that Jesus is who he said he is. It's more, I'm really not sure what to do here. I'm not sure what to think about this. And when I think through that, we're not told what they're wavering about, are we? It's just some of them wavered. Maybe they're encountering Jesus and people had trouble recognizing Jesus at first after he was raised from the dead. Is that Jesus? Is, has Jesus really been like raised from the dead? Or is this, is this some kind of vision? Is he a ghost? Or is he actually physically in front of us? And if he is, how do you respond to a risen Jesus? I mean, is it like it was before? Is it different? What's he going to do? What are we supposed to do? All kinds of questions seem to be going on in their heads. And I think it's in response to both their worship and their wavering that Jesus says what we find in verse 18, which is much more well known. And this is how it goes. And these are important verses, so I want to take them one by one. There's three verses we're going to look at. Then Jesus came, came to them and said, so he must have been a little further off. He comes close. He came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, for three years, Jesus has been proclaiming the kingdom of God to them. Okay? He's been proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, listen, this is not about heaven in the end. This is about God at work now. This is God's reign on earth. He's saying this is coming. This is coming. And the kingdom of heaven, hey, it's like this. It's like a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. And man, she turns the house upside down to find the one. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Kingdom of God is like a father whose son takes half of what he owns, goes, wastes it all, comes back and says, here I am, dad. And the dad takes him back. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So over and over, Jesus has shown them what the kingdom of God will be, that it is coming. God's reign is coming. They didn't get it all, okay? Even though he's explained it over and over, they didn't understand it all. But now Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. You know what a kingdom needs? It needs a king. And what he's saying is, through the death, burial, and resurrection, he has been crowned king. The kingdom is here. Now it's still to be completely fulfilled when Jesus returns. So still forward facing, looking to the future. But Jesus is saying the kingdom has come. All authority has been given to me. That's actually an allusion to Daniel chapter 7. Way back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before, Daniel says the Son of Man is going to receive all authority from God. Now this word son of man, that phrase son of man, is all about a person who is sent by God to free his people. And now Jesus is saying that's fulfilled in me today. All authority has been given to me. And because he had that authority, he could give his disciples a mission. And that mission is laid out in two verbs and then two words that describe the second verb. Here it is. Okay, verse 19. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Two things to do there, right? Go make disciples. Now, we have to be a little careful with that word go. Because for a long time, 
Many people like me have stood in front of groups like this and said, you got to go. And what I mean go is you got to go somewhere else. You got to go to some other country and learn a language and a different culture. If you're really going to fulfill what Jesus says here, you got to go somewhere else and tell them about Jesus. But, but if we look at the way that Jesus talks and others do in the Gospel of Matthew, what we find is that it's pretty frequent for Matthew to say through someone else, hey, go and do this. Sort of like we might say we get home, maybe we've been working in the yard or it's been a busy day, and we say to someone in our house, we sit down and say, hey, would, would you go and make some tea? I'd really like some. Now, what we are not saying is you need to walk down the street to someone else's house, go in their kitchen, boil some water and make tea. We just mean go in the kitchen and make some. So you got you to get up, you got to get off the sofa, somebody's got to move, but it can be right here. Would you go? It implies action. So Jesus is not necessarily saying here, everybody has to go somewhere else. But you do have to get up off the pew. You do have to get up off the sofa and get into action. You've got to do something. So when he says go, it's really more about action than it is crossing an ocean. Okay? He says go and make disciples. Now, what does it mean to make disciples? Oftentimes when we think about this passage, for us as Christians, what we use is the word evangelism. Okay, And that's sort of a Christian word. We don't use it out in the culture, but what we're talking about is getting people to the point that they make a decision to follow Jesus. So it's telling them about Jesus and them coming to faith in Jesus, which is a powerfully good thing. But if that's all we mean, we've missed part of the point here. Because Jesus doesn't here say, go and, and just get people to believe in me. He says, go and make disciples. Now, making a disciple means more than just getting them to the point that they know who Jesus is. Because here's the thing. I was baptized on July 15th, 1981, before many of you in this room were born, all right? I'm not done being made into a disciple. I'm still learning from God's word, from good teachers, from you as my community of faith, what it means to be a disciple. We're just never finished with that. It takes days and years and decades to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So if we think the work here is done when someone decides, hey, I want to follow Jesus, it's really in some ways just the beginning of making a disciple. So Jesus is calling us to something more than just getting a few people to say a prayer or even to the point where we go next in baptism. It's more than that. It's developing a deep sense of what it means to follow Jesus in every part of our lives and we can learn all the way through our lives. But he gives us two instructions. So go, make disciples. How do you make disciples? Well, two things under that. Number one, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is part of making a disciple. So we get to the point that we're teaching them who Jesus is. This is what it means to, to follow Jesus. And part of it is being baptized. And that's so important because for us, baptism really is 
immersion, okay? Every time in the New Testament something is baptized, if they baptized anything in the ancient world, the Greek word meant to immerse, to put under water. We bring that over into English because we have some debate, right? So we use Greek letters, make an English word, baptizo in Greek becomes baptized in English. But if we translated it, it means dunk them, okay? That's what we're talking about. But there's a deep meaning there. For the Jews, it was a rite of initiation. If you were a Gentile and wanted to become a Jew, one of the things you had to do was to be baptized. That's part of it for us, but it's more. It's a participation in what Jesus did. It's a participation in his death and burial, going down in baptism, and his resurrection being raised up. We're part of that. It symbolizes cleansing as sins are washed away. It's part of how we come in contact with grace itself and forgiveness. So Jesus is placing a huge emphasis on that right here as he's giving his disciples, hey, this is what I want you to do with the rest of your lives. I want you to go make disciples, and part of making disciples is baptizing people. So you're going you're to talk to them about who I am, and when they come to faith, you're going to baptize them. And, he says, teach them to obey. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So how do you make disciples? You baptize people and you teach them to obey Jesus. Now see, there it is. This is not just about, hey, an initial conversation because I'm sitting next to somebody on an airplane and suddenly they decide to follow Jesus and we say goodbye and that's the end of it. That, that's not making a disciple. That's bringing someone to the point of conversion. Making a disciple takes time because it's teaching someone. And I think part of being the church is teaching each other because there is no one person in this room who's got it all figured out. We're sharing with one another what it means to obey everything Jesus commanded. And part of what this means for us is we've got to study what Jesus commanded. So two weeks from today, just a little advertisement for what's coming. We're going to begin a new series of lessons and we're calling it 50 Days with Jesus. So we're going to spend 50 days studying the Gospel of John, and that's going to lead right up to Easter Sunday. I'm going to have a reading guide out so that you can read through the whole Gospel of John during those 50 days. I'll be preaching from the Gospel of John as well. So it's really going to be our focus to do just what Jesus commanded here in Matthew 28, to teach ourselves, to allow the Scriptures to speak to us about what it means to obey what Jesus said. So let's back up from this. If Jesus is laying out, all right, here's the mission, here's the purpose for your existence, what he's saying is, I want you to go and make disciples. Well, why? Because it's going to change their lives. Because as people become disciples, they first of all recognize that eternity is going to change. Right? Because there's forgiveness and eternal life that's part of becoming a disciple. But they're also going to recognize that this life changed. Like God is at work right now. The kingdom of heaven has already begun and we get to participate in it. So it's, it's loving God and loving others. It's doing things that matter around us that help people. That help the people to see who Jesus is by what we do. To help people see that God is loved by the love that we show. So it's way out in the future, it has eternal consequences, and it changes life now. And if we can get ourselves focused in on that, 
I believe the mission makes us one. If we want to think about what it means to be the body of Christ, one of the things that can gather us together and get us straight on why we exist is this passage right here, this mission that Jesus gave us, the mission makes us one. Because there's lots of things that are in our lives, right? we got all kinds of things going on, things that matter to us, things that are important. But as Christians, we're standing with those 11 disciples, maybe worshiping and maybe, if we're honest, wavering a little bit and trying to figure this thing out. And Jesus is saying to us, all authority has been given to me. Go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. That's the mission. And I believe that mission draws us together. Even though there's lots of things in our lives that matter, and we may disagree on some of them, if we can get together on this mission, we can be one and we can be the one body of Christ and be united with the rest of the body of Christ. Three sort of practical things I think we can do for this. First of all, focus on the mission. I mean, this should be what we're about as a church and as Christians. So focus in, like, what does this mean for me, for my family, for the way that we spend our money, spend our time? What does this look like for me as an individual? What does it look like for us as a church? Are we focused on the mission or focused on 12 other things? And so that means that every ministry team in our church thinks about how are we going, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. Because that's the mission. That's what this is all about. So instead of focusing on all the other stuff, we, as Christians, focus on this. Second, participate in the mission. Now, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't say, hey, go and, and uh, have a series of meetings where you really focus in and you, know, t- you talk about the mission and you discuss it thoroughly and develop a plan. He says, go and make disciples. He's calling us to do something. So it's not just talking about the mission, but it's participating in the mission. And that can look like a lot of different things. Sometimes it's programs that take place in the church where we all say, you know what, let's go do this and it's going to fulfill part of the mission. We're going to help these people. We're going to teach this class. Whatever it is, lots of things that it could be. And sometimes it's people who are in this room right now who say, you know what, I see a need over here and I'm going to go try to address that need in the name of Jesus. I'm going to love God and love others through this right here. And then maybe a few others in the room say, you know what, I could help with that. It doesn't have to be an officially sanctioned program of the church to fulfill the mission of Jesus. But we all got to do something. It's not just for people on staff or people who are elders or lead ministry teams. This mission is for every Christian. It's what pulls us together. And then finally, we should should celebrate a mission success. Celebrate mission success. When we see the mission being completed, we ought to be happy about that. I mean, when someone is baptized, it's right here in the passage, we ought to celebrate, and we do. And when we see one of our kids sort of 
seeing some things that matter and understanding what it means to follow Jesus and the light bulb goes on, we ought to celebrate it. And when we see people in our church out in the community showing the love of Jesus to the people around them, we ought to celebrate it. When it works, we ought to be excited about that because that's the kingdom of God at work in us. And it's the mission of celebrating that kingdom and extending the kingdom of God to the people around us and maybe to people around the world. Who knows? Go may mean for you, go somewhere else, and that's awesome. Or it may mean go right outside the door. We can make disciples anywhere. There's plenty of work to be done just about anywhere we go. But what I know is that if we get behind this, this mission that Jesus gave to us, the mission will make us one. Let's pray together. God, help us to be people who are focused in on fulfilling the mission that you put before us. Help us to be prepared to go, to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them. And God, help us to be learning all along the way as well, because we don't have it all figured out. We're learning from you, and we're learning from each other, and God, help us to have open hearts and minds so that we do. And God, put us to work. Help us to see what you would have us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.